G'day, and welcome to episode 109 of the Pack Heavy podcast. My name is Hayden Thompson, and today, Catherine Kavanagh, who is one of two co-founders and the CEO of Heyday Canning Co., joined me for a really good 45-minute chat where we covered the Heyday startup story and the road that they have taken to getting onto the retail shelves. Uh, we focus pretty heavily on the fact that they have innovated in a very tight and predominantly commodity-based category, being the canned goods space, and this occurred through the development of six delicious and quite unique flavoured canned bean skews and definitely by positioning themselves with a really unique and iconic looking brand. So this is a great episode for anyone out there listening who is selling into a crowded space. And even though Heyday is just sitting the shelves now, the lessons that Kat and Jamie have learned along the way um, will hopefully resonate with you and you'll be able to apply some of these lessons to your business as well, which is always the aim for each episode of this podcast. So I think I'll leave it at that for today, episode 109 with Kat Kafner. Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm uh, I'm thrilled to have you on, actually. You're going to be the second or so episode of 2023 and uh, the first recorded episode of 23. And I've just come off having a few awesome. weeks off and I feel a little bit rusty. Yeah, <laughs> well, no worries. We'll, we'll break back into it. We yeah, we'll finish. be fine. No worries. So, Heyday Canning, there's a lot that we can dig into. And I was yeah. attracted to your business when I came across you on LinkedIn and I saw your beautiful branding. So I'd love to definitely kick off um, into that during the conversation and sort of yeah. focus on your branding and the aesthetic and the storytelling that you're um you know, deeply gone into on your website. And I've spent some time on your website this morning before we jumped online and it is is really well developed and beautiful. Oh, thanks. Thank you. So I'm sure that there's a lot that can be learned for everybody listening today there. Um, but before we get started, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah. So I grew up for the most part in California I'm from a small town called Carmel, about mm. two and a half hours south of San Francisco. Yeah. Yep. So I'm, I'm back in California now, California, not born, but bred for the most part. Ah, nice and sunny. Yeah, nice and sunny. Even yeah. during the winter? Not right now. We've been getting battered by <laughs> rain and wind. But yeah, normally we get some good winter weather. But yeah, it's yeah. been rainy, which we need. We're grateful for the rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. And I mean, yeah. the whole world's sort of aware of sort of the water issues that you guys have mm. in California. And I'm yeah. sure that all of the farmers and the producers out there are yeah thrilled that there's a lot of rain around right now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, Very good. Yeah. So you've come from like the marketing and um, brand management background. I see that you worked at yeah. Cliff and Trek, um, two mm -hmm. great brands, and I'm sure that you learned a lot while you were working for those two companies. Yeah. But you started off by getting a Bachelor of Science in Marketing and Operations and Environmental Studies, which is a huge mouthful. So yeah. <laughs> where do you want to start? Like how has your sort of education influenced you and in the direction that you've taken your career and how did it all evolve into entrepreneurship? Yeah. So I would say I grew up around a lot of startups. My dad worked in the tech startup world. Mm. Um, so I was always really interested in entrepreneurship from a young age. I was very into my lemonade stand as a little oh, kid. Cool. I had like a business plan and a pitch deck that I, awesome. I put together. Like, I'm not even joking. For, yeah, no, for I my believe parents. it. <laughs> I've heard that from a few people that have come on the podcast. Yeah. It's very common. Yeah, totally. And like my dad and I would, we would be driving around in the car as a little kid, we would play a game, like come up with a new invention and then do like a little advertisement for it kind That's of thing. And, like, idea. I'm going to do that with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. It was very fun. Like really silly ideas. Like one that I remember is like a bar of soap that never disintegrates, which I don't know if that's even possible, but oh, when you're seven, like it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> the never-ending gobstopper at the, yeah, um, Charlie exactly. and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, I kind of grew up with um, an interest and yeah, just like an interest and in, in love of entrepreneurship, um, having grown up around it. And then also grew up with a love of food and cooking. Mm. And as I got older, got 
more and more interested in, in food from a sustainability and health and wellness perspective. Um, so when I went to college, I was in the business school undergrad and majored in marketing and operations and then decided to do a minor in environmental studies because mm. I knew I was yeah, really interested in, in food systems and sustainability and just wanted to take those classes. And so it was a way for me to, to do a bit more of that. And then ended up getting into the food industry pretty much right away. I, I interned both my, let's see, the summer after my sophomore and junior year of college in, in the industry with Whole Foods to start, and then with a startup called Sweet Earth Natural Foods. And then I ended up going to work for Sweet Earth right out of college. Um, so I kind of found my very natural home, like right at the intersection of entrepreneurship and, and startups and food sustainability health in, mm. in the natural food CPG world. So I feel very lucky that I knew what I wanted to do and kind of found my way into it. That's really cool. At what point did you start yeah. traveling? Um, for work? Probably. Well, I see that, you know, and you and I were, when we had our initial phone call, you said that, you know, travel has been something that's been pretty significant in your life as well. Ah, uh -huh, and uh -huh. has sort of, you know, definitely shaped who you are as a person and, you know, um, you know, all of the different cultures that you've submerged yourself in as well. So when did travel sort of, you know, um, come along? Yeah. So I ended up living abroad in Australia for a couple of years. Mm. Um, that's definitely like the biggest chunk of time that I've, I've lived abroad. Um, yeah. And that happened kind of just serendipitously. My my partner ended up getting into a PhD program in right. Australia and, yep. you know, wanted to pursue that. And I was working at Cliff Bar at the time and was mm. kind of already ready for my next adventure at that point. And mm -hmm. so kind of was like, all right, I'm going to quit my job and move to Australia and figure it out from there. And it was a really amazing experience. I feel like everyone should live abroad at some point. I'm sure you'll probably agree, agree. with that. But yeah. it's, yeah, yeah it's yeah. just such an eye-opening experience and so fun to experience another culture like mm. that in a way that you just can't when you're on vacation, even for a couple of weeks. Like, it's just such a different thing to really live there and, and absorb it and get to know people in, in that really deep way. So yeah, I loved, one out. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, be the odd one out. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. unique, you know, being the odd one out with a funny accent that no one understands. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, being from somewhere else, it's it's pretty yeah. unique. And I found that you really learn who you are when you're on the other side of the world and you're left to your own yeah. devices. Yes, yeah. You know, totally. and for me, I was just, um, you know, I was so grateful for the upbringing that I had and, you know, all of the... Um, the, you know, the moral sort of and ethical sort of um, compass that I was, um, that was handed down to me from my parents, you yeah. know, it was sort of, you know, instilled in me and you, but you don't really realize what's in you until you're left to your own devices and you're on the other side of the world as well. Yeah, totally, totally. Mm. And there was something kind of liberating. I don't know if this resonates with you, but liberating for me about showing up in a place where I didn't know anybody, <laughs> like just walking out of my apartment and being like, I'm not going to run into anybody. Not, I mean, I'm a pretty social person. I like running into people, but it was yeah. such a new experience to be truly like alone in a new place. Like the first few weeks that we were there and like, yeah. just not knowing anybody was exciting. It's exciting yeah. to kind of start new. Yeah. yeah. Um, were you already working for Cliff when you were there or did you get a job in Australia working for Cliff? So I was working for Cliff in the U S and then right. quit when I moved to Australia. Oh, right, 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 yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I showed up with no job. Yeah. Got, yeah. So what yeah. did you do? Did you get a job? Yeah, so I, I ended up getting a job at Trek. I worked at Trek for that was when you were at Trek. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So I was jobless for a few months trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I was mm -hmm. I was living in Canberra, which as you know is mm -hmm. the capital of Australia. And mm -hmm. most of the jobs are government jobs. There's not a ton happening in Canberra outside of government. I mean, there's not like a natural foods industry to speak yeah. of really. So yep. 
Yeah, it was a little bit challenging at first. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I just got here and now I need to really figure it out. Um, but I ended up figuring out that Trek's APAC headquarters was in Canberra, which is pretty pretty random. Like, you'd think Very. that they would be Sydney or Melbourne. Yeah. Um, but yeah, their APAC office was in Canberra and they were hiring for a marketing position. Um, so I worked there for about six months, I think. And then my now co-founder and former colleague and longtime good friend, Jamie Tully, had just started up a consulting practice. And she, we can get more into this in a little bit, but she mm. comes from more of an R&D and operations background and was helping consult startups, mostly helping them commercialize their product lines, find co-packers, that kind mm -hmm. of work. And she was finding that most of the clients, if not all of the clients that she was working with needed some help on the marketing side. So she mm. was like, hey, if you want to come do this with me, like, I think there could be a great opportunity for for you to do this kind of consulting work. And I just jumped at that opportunity because I missed the industry and it was yeah. a really great way for me to stay connected to it, even from Australia. That's perfect. So, so you're kind yeah. of the yin to each other's yang. You both bring something to the exactly. table. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's and just great. have a, like a tremendous amount of respect for one another and each other's skill sets. And yeah, yeah. So we've always loved working together. Yeah. That's really cool. And I know that we will yeah. talk about it later on, but um, one of the common themes that... Um, or common conversations that have cropped up when I've been speaking to a co-founder is that it's really important to understand what lane you're working in and mm. what side of the business you're working on so that you don't step on anybody's toes and it's very well defined. Yeah. And it sounds to me as if that's the case for you too. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, our skill sets are just so different. Like we really come from mm -hmm. the opposite side of the industry. Jamie's mm -hmm. very technical. She's trained as a food scientist and has just amazing experience hands-on food manufacturing she's been yeah. a plant manager when yeah. we were at sweet earth she built out you know really built out a plant we were self-manufacturing and training production teams like mm -hmm. she's just hands-on in it manufacturing yeah. ops person and i'm yeah. more of the like creative strategic brand person and so we're very complementary very mm -hmm. different and, and like i said just have a huge amount of respect for each other and and our skills and so we definitely like step off <laughs> like you know we're we work together across plenty of things but mm. when it comes to something that's more squarely in my territory or more squarely in hers like she has you know my full authority to make a call in the areas yep. where you know she's really the expert and, and vice versa for me so yeah i think we work really well as a co-founding team in that way you're lucky to have found each other totally and just as friends i mean she's an amazing person and yeah it's it's great yeah that's awesome yeah. Yeah. so heyday canning co what sparked the idea specifically Say that one more time. What um, Heyday Canning Co. So what yeah. sparked the idea specifically? What sparked the idea? Yeah. Mm. So we were very much a COVID-born brand. So mm. we started talking about the idea that eventually turned into Heyday early spring of 2020. And, you know, this was stay-at-home orders in place. Everyone yep. was loading up on canned goods or just yeah. like any shelf-stable anything they could get their hands on. Yep. Um, and kind of just had this light bulb moment walking down that canned food aisle and realizing, wow, there is still an entire aisle dedicated to canned food in most mm -hmm. grocery stores, but the products on those shelves are collecting dust. Like it's all outdated legacy brands or really cheap, uninspired commodities. It's not a place that you go to discover exciting new flavors or products or really anything at all. There's basically no weeds going down that aisle. Yep. And at the same time, we felt like, you know, all of 
the underlying value in canned food still felt very relevant, right? Like canned food is super convenient. Like just having something in your pantry on hand at any time is very convenient. Mm. Um, you know, most people need help getting just quick, easy meals on the table. Canned food is an awesome solution to that problem. Um, from a processing perspective, it's, you know, one of the more natural forms of food preservation that we have. Mm. You're just using heat to make food shelf stable. You're not mm -hmm. adding any preservatives or excess salt or any, you know, funky artificial anything. Yeah. Um, and from a sustainability perspective, we felt like there was a really interesting story that wasn't being told both around food waste and shelf stability being, you know, not a silver bullet to the food waste problem, which is massive, but, you know, one solution to it. Um, and also from a packaging perspective, cans are you know made with a high percentage of recycled material mm -hmm. and are the most frequently recycled form of any type of food packaging. So we kind of put those two things together. We're like, there's no innovation happening at all, yet it feels like this category has a lot of potential. Like it just feels so relevant in so many ways that if mm -hmm. you just developed really delicious products that, you know, had an unrelenting focus on flavor and quality. And, you know, we're really just made with the food sensibility of a modern consumer in mind. And you wrapped it up in a brand that was really beautiful and, and would resonate with a more modern consumer. We just felt like the potential was huge. So it, it all clicked with us pretty quickly. Like as soon as we started talking about it and thinking about it, we're like, yeah, wow, this just feels huge and exciting mm -hmm. in a multitude of ways. Yeah, I would have loved to have been in those early conversations as well, because that would have got me really excited too. And yeah, um, yeah. doing that SWOT analysis, like I'm sure you would have seen a lot of clear space there for you to work from. But if yeah. I was in your shoes back then, thinking from it from an entrepreneur's perspective, I would have been like, how can I test the market here in small quantities? And I think that one of the barriers of a can is how the heck yeah. do I get my product in a can? Because like a jar is mm -hmm. easy. Anybody can buy jars online. Yeah. Anybody can buy flexible packaging, which is the industry I'm in. But how did you get into a can and how did you sort of test your theory with the market to see if you know your idea had any legs? Yeah, no, it's a good question. It, it certainly is hard. Like we couldn't mm really go the route of like doing a super small run and yeah. going to a farmer's market or something yeah. like that because all of the canned food manufacturing that exists pretty much is very scaled like mm. you can't you know there's very high minimums that you have to hit in order to even do a yeah. run and i thought that might so, be the case yeah so it was it was tricky so initially we just did some concept testing like before we even went full in on it we put together a survey and we really mm. wanted to talk to not just our first degree connections that were going to be like yeah go yeah. for it you guys are great yeah so we tried to get to like second and even third degree mm -hmm. connections and um and just asked a bunch of questions about like canned food that they're currently buying their perceptions that they currently have around canned food some of mm -hmm. their pain points more generally when it comes to grocery shopping um and then you know got more into concepts and flavors and overwhelmingly heard really positive responses to the concept mm -hmm. and it, it it very much um validated our gut level intuition around mm -hmm. around the concept um so that was like a first piece that I don't know, just like one extra layer of validation. And it wasn't yeah. huge. We, we talked to maybe, I don't know, close to 100 people through that mm -hmm. survey mm -hmm. um, and did some phone calls as well. And um, we really like jumped in with two feet without doing a ton of testing, to okay. be perfectly honest. That's brave. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I, I think both Jamie and I too are not huge fans of extensive consumer testing. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, I guess we both feel like there is, a role for it in some instances, but I don't know at, at the startup level, like really just starting out, I think you do have to 
lead with your gut and mm -hmm. you know you want to do your research and really understand the category that you're going into and we did a lot of that um yeah. but yeah we we relied primarily on our our gut instinct that this was something like a real opportunity that we could go after yeah yeah so yeah. you knew that there there would be a market for it right you had done your research and you felt confident obviously in moving forward but did you find it easy to find because you're working through a co-packer at the moment yeah like a co manufacturer. Yeah. yeah yeah was it easy to find a co-packer that um would put product in a can no, it yeah. was not. It was not easy at all. No. Okay. Yeah, Let's that talk was about like that. probably yeah, that was probably our biggest challenge. And I was very naive about that. I mean, I that's not been my world. I had never worked with with Comans before and um I guess my thinking was like, hey, this is something new and innovative. There's nothing really new and innovative happening here. Mm -hmm. They're going to take our call and be like, woohoo, finally something. Somebody's exciting. here. Yeah. Somebody's here. And that was just not how that went down at all. Okay. Um, you know, I think like one big aspect of it was just the timing. Like we, as I mentioned, started this project in the thick of COVID. Mm. And so that had really changed the landscape for canned food manufacturing. Like demand had just gone off the charts. And my understanding is that the canned food manufacturing landscape has shrunk quite a bit in recent years because, okay. you know, demand hasn't exactly been hot prior to COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so all of all of the manufacturers were just slammed, like they had no capacity. And even the ones that were like, hmm, this sounds interesting. A lot of them are like, we just can't talk about this right now. Like come back to us in a year, maybe, and we'll wow. see. Yeah. But yeah, they were just really, really slammed. So there was, you know, that element of it. And then the other element of it, which, you know, is sort of more of an evergreen challenge is that canned food right now is set up to produce commodities at scale like that's what canned food is they're like primarily really simple commodities mm -hmm. and the industry is amazing at making them very efficiently and very inexpensively at scale but they're not amazing at producing really high culinary high quality products at scale because that's just not what's there and so mm. it's like you know, kind of a double-edged sword, I guess, in a way that it's both the opportunity to bring that to the market, but also the challenge and that no one's doing it. And so mm -hmm. finding a manufacturer that's willing to think differently about what canned food can be and then think differently about, you know, how to set up the line and how to work with all of our ingredients, like all of that are, you know, those are real challenges that mm -hmm. the co-packer has to take on. Um, so it, it was hard to find the right partner that was really ready to go in with yeah. us. Yeah, and work yeah. with you on an MOQ that was palatable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because that was another like chicken and egg problem. Like yeah. we didn't want to go and talk to retailers without a co-man, but mm -hmm. going to co-mans without any retail commitments, you yeah. know, added another layer to yeah. the challenge. So we were really like selling ourselves as a team and, yeah. you know, we tried to sell our experience and mm -hmm. our, you know, the connections that we have in the industry and the strength of the brand and, and all of that, which, you know, got a lot of people excited, but at the end of the day, they want to see orders and they yeah. want to see volume that's real. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was tricky. Yeah. So they would have, I'm sure, occurred in unison but which one did actually come first like you were out there hustling and selling the concept and the idea were you able to do some sampling with retailers as well on a small scale so they knew exactly what they were getting yeah so we we had a we still do have an internal r&d setup where we were making samples um so we were able to share samples with retailers coming out of you know our own sample kitchen but we we got the co-packer first like i felt pretty strongly that i didn't want to start retailer conversations until we had a clear line of sight to yeah. how we were going to make them because yeah. I just didn't want to, you know, build those relationships and then, you know, maybe burn a bridge or get someone have excited. Yeah. Yeah. Have it crumble because it had just been so hard. Like it had mm. taken, I don't know, maybe like a year at that point that we had just been having the conversations and then 
hearing a lot of no's <laughs> over and over again. So I, I really wanted to get that sorted. So we did that and then we started talking to retailers afterwards. Okay. So you launched yeah. in November 2020, but when did you actually get to market? Yeah. So about two years later. Yeah. So we, we incorporated and yeah. Yeah. So we incorporated late fall of 2020. Yeah. As I said, we started talking about this in um, early yeah. spring. And yeah. so we were, you know, kind of in like this exploratory phase for quite a while. Yeah. Also, my co founder, Jamie, was about six months pregnant when we started talking about this. <laughs> that'll put the brakes so, on it. Yeah. Yeah. That'll put the brakes on it for a yeah. little bit. Um, but yeah. So she had her baby in December of 20 and then kind of like slowly started ramping back up in the cool. spring of 21. Yeah. Um, and then we just hit store shelves for the first time last month in December that's of Sprouts. 22. Yeah, yeah congratulations. Sprouts. Yeah. That's a thank huge achievement. Thank you so much. Yeah, mm. thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. So what would you suggest was the most time-consuming piece that you did not see occurring? Yeah, I mean, probably the co-packer search. Mm. Like I said, I thought that would be pretty simple. I thought that was going to be like a couple meetings. We'll hear a yes that we'll have that supported. Like, I think I was just very naive about like what it would take to, to yeah. get a co-packer on board. And then developing the product too. That took a really, really long time. So we mm. started playing around with recipes in spring, summer of, mm -hmm. let's see, spring, summer of 20. And then we really like nailed all six of our SKUs. It was probably like summer of 21. So like mm -hmm. a, a year and change to develop those six SKUs. It's yep. a long time. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, it, Canning was a learning curve for both Jamie and I. You know, Jamie is a food scientist. She has a ton of experience on, on the R&D side of things, but not in canning. And canning mm -hmm. is kind of a unique beast. You're cooking at really high heat mm -hmm. under pressure and mm -hmm. it changes a lot under those conditions. And so mm -hmm. there was a lot of trial and error that we had to go through to figure out what worked and what didn't. Um, and th that got frustrating a bit. Like, you know, <laughs> you really just want to get it done. You, like, you want to have these products ready to go, but you just can't. Like there's only so much you can do. Like if they're not at your standard, like you, you gotta just like keep going okay. and going yeah. until you get it right. And I'm, yeah. you know, obviously so grateful that we stuck with it. Like there were times when it was like, oh, this is this good enough? But like you can't do that. <laughs> you know, you have to you have to hold yourself to a really high standard on flavor and quality. And yeah, and we knew that. So that was challenging. It took a lot of iteration, but we got to a place that we're we're really proud of. With, with these first six skews. That's fantastic. Now yeah. you do have the six skews and sort of them, all of them individually hit sort of like a di different target demographic, which is really yeah. unique. How did you come about developing each skew and who would you suggest your, you know, your target audience is? Yeah. So we think about our like core target audience as the modern home cook, like people that are really passionate about home cooking. They're up to date on, you know, all the latest cookbooks and cooking sub stacks and yep. they, you know, follow a ton of food influencers on, on mm -hmm. social media. Um, and so they're, you know, well-versed in, in flavor and, you know, international cuisines and, um, you know, love exploring and trying new things. So that's how we think about, you know, our, our core target. And I would say Jamie mm. and I identify as part of that core target, which always makes it a little bit mm. easier when you're developing the products that you want to see in the yeah. world. I'm looking at this and I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely your target audience as well. Like I would try yeah. every single flavor that you have here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they awesome. look delicious. Yeah. Yay. I, I can't wait for you to try them soon, mm. very soon. Um, but yeah, so I would say we tried to hit flavors that we really loved. Like I, that the very beginning, that's sort of how we started brainstorming. Just like, mm -hmm. what are the flavor profiles that we turn to often when we're cooking? And we kind of just like bulleted down a bunch of different flavor ideas and started yeah. testing. And then when it came to, you know, really picking out the six 
flavors that we wanted to launch with. We wanted to have a good strategically well-rounded offering of flavors mm -hmm. that could be incorporated into a bunch of different meals. That was really mm -hmm. important to us from the get-go. Like we really wanted to have the, the tomato olivaca cannellini bean. We wanted something in that flavor camp that could work really well with pasta or polenta or grilled bread. And mm -hmm. we wanted to have, um, you know, the enchilada black beans that you could use for tacos or enchiladas mm -hmm. or, you know, more like Mexican kind of flavor profiles. Um, so we, we just wanted to have good diversity in the types of flavors that that we had on offer and, and flavors that were really new and, and novel for the mm. category. Um, and then we also wanted to have a good range of flavors that felt more familiar. Like I would say the enchilada black beans are are pretty easy for people yeah. to, yeah, yep. to understand. And then the kimchi sesame navy beans are like pretty unique. Um, it's not a flavor you really find in the category and, and the product itself is very bold. And that's different. the one I'm attracted to. I'd love to yeah. try that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. The apricot yeah. glazed beans as well. Like they would be delicious. Like that sweet sort of, I can imagine um, that sweet sort of syrupy flavor would be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And we wanted to have a baked bean. We felt like, you know, most people understand baked beans mm -hmm. already and yep. sort of an easy way to bring people in, even if they're like, well, kimchi, sesame, navy bean, what the hell is that? Like maybe they'll start with the baked bean and love that. And then yep. they'll get more adventurous with us as we build their trust. That's um, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the brand, tell me about the brand because the brand is what attracted me to actually like diving mm. into Heyday Canning when I first saw you online. And it is this cool sort of like 1950s aesthetic. And it reminds me of like Yogi Bear cartoons that I used to watch when I was a kid. And it's yeah. just like got this California feel to it and like this home feeling to it. And it's just awesome. So you obviously landed on this aesthetic in this brand, but when you were developing an uh, like a, a whole sort of array to choose from, what sort of like um, different directions were you potentially looking in to sort of eventually land at this one? Yeah, well, I guess I'll start with the name. So mm. we, before we did any brand identity work, Jamie and I came up with the name first mm. and we wanted a name that would sort of capture this brand spirit that we knew mm -hmm. we wanted to go after, which was really embracing this nostalgia and warmth around yeah. canning that we felt had existed for a long time. Like if you go back not that far, like my grandmother, probably your grandmother too, used to can a lot of her own food at home. Like they would grow yeah. food locally. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's how they had fruits and vegetables in the winter. And so we just really liked that there is this like warm, fuzzy, golden vibe around mm -hmm. home canning that seems to have you know, kind of been lost somewhat. And then we also wanted a brand that felt, you know, not only backwards looking at that history, but forward looking about creating this new era of canned food that was vibrant and joyful. Like mm. joy is a word that we kept coming back to because canned food just doesn't feel joyful right now. It feels very utilitarian and yeah. functional, but it doesn't feel joyful. And yeah. So when I brand, think of, yeah. sorry, I cut yeah, you yeah, off. No, go ahead. Yeah, no, go, go. Yeah. When I think of canned food, it's like, it's a late Sunday night dinner and you can't think of anything to cook because you don't feel like cooking anything. So you go to the yeah. pantry and you're like, oh, I'm just going to put baked beans on toast. You know, yeah. it's like, it's <laughs> yeah. a last resort kind of thing. Right. And, yeah. and I'm looking at your beans and your canned produce or your canned um, items here. And I'm like, no, this is like, this isn't a last minute thought. This is like, you're going to put a lot of time and energy into actually what you're going to create with your canned goods. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. Or like when I think of canned food, I think of very functional ingredients like i mm. buy canned beans all the time like plain canned beans yep. all the time that i'm like draining and rinsing but yep. i don't even think about them that like there's not much to even think about <laughs> like, mm -hmm. they're like very much serving their function but there's no there's no like joy or creativity around yep. those products at all yep. so we really wanted to create this new 
category within a category really mm -hmm. of like vibrant, bold, delicious products. So anyway, so we wanted a name that was both backwards looking, forwards looking, rooted in nostalgia, excited about the future. And that was really like the heart of the brief that we gave to the creative agency that we worked with. Okay. And so we looked at a few different design concepts and all of them had elements of that, like some element of retro nostalgia, some were more modern. Um, and we just kind of worked through a bunch of different iterations. And when we saw the, you know, what is now the heyday brand identity, we clicked onto it pretty immediately. Mm -hmm. The so the font, I'll, I'll pull up one of the cans so you can yeah. look at it a little bit more closely. But um, one of the first things that we saw was this font, which is a custom font that our agency made for us. And something that we really loved is that when you mm -hmm. first look at it, it's very, um, it's sort of like, it stacks really well. It, it feels sort of like boxy and well-organized. But yep. then when you look a little bit closer, like the weighting on all of the letters is different. And there's sort of this like, dynamic movement happening mm -hmm. within the font and we yep. felt like it was kind of a cool metaphor for what we were trying to do in the category you know we're like sticking we made an intentional choice to stick with the can itself and not do a pouch or some other type of packaging yeah so we're like playing within you know we're playing within the category as it exists but really like marching to the beat of our own drummer and doing our own thing and so that font really stuck out to us and we love that we loved the idea of our branding having this sort of like secret metaphor even if no one else <laughs> picks up on that we did and yours, we yeah. love that yeah and so we yeah. really leaned into that and the color palette that they presented it it mm. all just really nailed the vibe of what we were looking for so That's we started cool. with the, the font and the colors and then as we got into packaging and then into website like every design layer started to build out this heyday world more and more and more which was mm. really fun yeah, yeah, I see it. It would be a lot of fun to work with it. Um, do you yeah. want to give a shout out to the agency you're working with? Yes, please. Yeah. So we're working with an agency called Outline. They are based out of Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Awesome, small boutique team. Um, really great to work with. Can't recommend them highly enough. And for the website, the website was developed by an agency called Kinful, K-I-N-F-U-L. Um, right. So yeah, those are the two the two main creative forces that brought all of it to life. That's yeah, fantastic. Very happy to give them a shout out. Yeah. That's good. I'm going to put both of their links down in the show notes for everybody if awesome. they want to cool. check it yeah, out further. Great. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. So you obviously put a lot of energy and intention into the brand that we've just been discussing and your website. And it's absolutely critical these days that, you know, startups do knock it out of the park to start with. Um, what kind of budget were you working with here? And like, how did you develop sort of the budget that you were intending to use for your launching brand? And, um, and you know, did you stay within budget or did you exceed it or how did that all wash out? Yeah, so we were bootstrapping the company, Jamie and I, to start. Um, so we didn't have a, a huge budget to work with. We, you know, had some savings that we put into the company and, yep. and we knew that, you know, this was had to have been our biggest line item mm -hmm. uh, in getting started. Like we knew that we had to invest in really high quality branding. Like you yeah. said, like it's just table stakes these days to start out. And we particularly felt in this category, it was extra important. Like if we were going to change perception around canned food, a category that's existed for decades and decades and generations and generations, we really had to have a brand that immediately popped and conveyed mm -hmm. that it was something different. So, um, I mean, it was my first time I'd worked around this kind of work before, but had never led a branding process like this totally from scratch. So I wasn't mm -hmm. sure exactly what to expect from a budget perspective, but um, we spoke to a handful of, of agencies and, and different design firms and kind of got a feel of what the range looked like. And we ended up, you know, kind of somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, 
And overall, I would say we we stayed on budget. It cool. might have been some like little overages here and there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we were certainly learning as we went about how much we had to expect to spend on yeah. different elements of the design process. Um, yeah. But yeah, knew, you know, we tried to rein it in where we could, but we also mm. knew that we really had to nail it and and be thoughtful about how we brought everything to life. So yeah, yeah it was certainly a big investment. Yeah, That's fantastic. So when we're talking about startup costs, I know there are a lot of people out there and it, it can be quite overwhelming when you're like, okay, let's just re- use round numbers, for example. So let's say $10,000, right? And let's say, okay, I'm going to spend 50% on branding and um, and development of my brand and my website. And then I have to allocate a percentage of it to cost of goods and, you know, actually working with a manufacturer and getting the, mm. the, um, the items in ready to sell. And then I have to allocate a certain percentage to budget and so on. So out of a hundred percent, what percentage would you say was spent on branding and how did you allocate the rest of your resources and funds? Yeah. So early days, geez, how much was spent on branding? I don't know, maybe 20%, maybe something like that. Okay. Yep. Um, Got it. 23%. Yeah. I mean, I would say big picture, the biggest expense for us in getting launched and, and actually getting onto shelves has been, you know, the expense of cost of goods, yeah. you know, buying all of the raw materials that you yep. need. And I think this is something that I didn't fully understand until I was in it is just mm-hmm. how long of a gap there is between the money going out of your bank account to buy packaging and labels and yep. ingredients and pay the manufacturer who, you know, when you're just starting out probably wants to be paid up front. You probably yep. don't even have net 30 terms with them. If you're so lucky. That's yeah. A, yeah. 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 That's a lot of cash going out the door and then you're not getting paid maybe like five, six months later, like there's a really long gap Mm -hmm. there. Um, So I think that has been the key cash need driver for us, Um, especially our our products are pretty expensive to produce. And Mm -hmm. so that's been a a big piece of the puzzle for sure. Um, And I think probably anyone who's who's launched a food startup before has had that realization too, of like, oh boy, this from a cash flow perspective, it's a tricky business because there's just such a long gap between yeah, money going out and money eventually coming back in. Yeah, it's definitely a yeah. common conversation. Um, yeah. The other one is the expensive, you know, or how expensive it actually is to get onto the shelf. So, you know, the pay-to-play <laughs> sort of model. Yeah. Um, how did yeah. you find it getting out there into the world? Yeah, so I, I would say that's the one area where we've been pretty lucky and in, in having a very um, warm reception <laughs> and, and things going pretty seamlessly for us. Um, once we started talking to retailers, we were – accepted quite quickly. Like there was just a lot of enthusiasm from retail buyers over the concept. Um, so the sales side luckily has been very smooth so far and we're, right. you know, we're on shelf now with Sprouts and we are just about to launch with Whole Foods in a couple of weeks. We oh. haven't announced that like in a really big way yet, but um, it's so soon that I think we can start, <laughs> we can start sharing that exciting news. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. And yeah, we've just been really really lucky to form those partnerships so early on. Mm. Um, It was not what we expected. We expected to start out a little bit more slow and steady in kind of a regional way and then start growing out from there. Um, But I think, I think those buyers have just been seeing what, what we saw, you know, in 2020 when we were first having these conversations of like, geez, there's just nothing happening. And when we brought them the concept, they were like, yes, they were just on board right away, which is yeah, very exciting. That's awesome. And what format are you selling it in? Like, I'm sure you've got the cans on the shelf, so individual units, but are you selling a flat of um, cans as well? 
Um, yeah, no. So we're, we're just selling individual units for now. We are about to launch our e-commerce shop. So those will be six packs that we're cool. selling online through e-com. Um, yep. But yeah, at retail, it'll just be the just be the individual cans. Yep. And are you working yep. with the distributor or are you doing it all yourself? Yeah, we're working with UNFI for Whole Foods oh, great. and yep. Kehi for Sprouts. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. UNFI. They're a great partner and um, a lot of Canadian brands that head down into the States do it with UNFI just because of their oh, reach. Cool. Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. No, it's been great. I mean, working with UNFI and Kehi unlocks a lot of doors because they service so many customers. So that, you know, additionally mm. has been one of the secondary benefits of getting into Whole Foods and Sprouts is that it unlocks those distributors, which can be hard to get into. You know, that's a, a whole other challenge if you don't have one of those big you know, big regional or national accounts, it can be hard to get in there. So we were, we were lucky in that regard too. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. So yeah. it's just the two of you or it started with the two of you. What start, at what point did you bring on some employees? Yeah. So it started with just the two of us and yep. then we brought on an R and D contractor in May of 21, April, May 21, when Jamie was coming back, you know, her baby was then yep. four or five months old. And, um, she quickly learned that having a newborn, a nurse, you know, being a nursing mom and having a newborn at home, she couldn't be in the kitchen <laughs> working on our recipes the way that she kind of thought that she might yeah. be able to do so quickly. Yeah. Um, and so we brought someone on to um, kind of be her hands in the kitchen that she could direct. Um, and so we we trained her name is Terry Ann. She's awesome. She's now a full time employee of ours. Um, but she she came to us without any experience in the food industry, but just had all of the right raw material to be a really great R&D manager, which cool. is her title now. Yeah. So she's just meticulous, super organized, loves to cook and um, has learned learned the ropes. But yeah, kind of got started. You know, Jamie would direct her on how we wanted to alter a recipe and, and she would, you know, make it happen. And yep. um, she just grew like more and more independent over time and then joined us as a full-time employee uh, this past summer. summer That's great 22. experience for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're we're very lucky to have her. So it's three full time employees: me, Jamie, Terry, Ann, and then we have um, two contractors that we work with: one on supply chain and logistics, mm -hmm. mostly helping with managing our three PL and fulfilling our orders, things like that. Yeah. Um, and then a contractor that I've been working with on the social media side, helping oh, cool. set our strategy and and kind of manage that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So we're a team of like three and change, three and maybe four, if you, if you sum up the contractors into one. Yeah. 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 Very good. Yeah. Now, a couple of questions. So you've obviously just got to market, which is really exciting. And you're obviously looking down the road and you've got a bit of a roadmap that I'm sure that you've developed. What is your expansion strategy and sort of like, what is your plan over the next period of time to obviously keep growing? But like, what is your ultimate goal with this brand? Yeah. So from a retail perspective, we want to continue growing in the natural channel. It was always our plan to launch and incubate the brand natural. I think it just makes a yeah. ton of sense to start in those stores. Um, and, you know, we have Whole Foods and Sprouts, which is awesome, like the best start we ever could mm. have hoped for. But there's still, you know, a lot of other natural chains that, that we want to go after. Um, and then we want to start moving carefully and strategically more into conventional retail. Um, you know, so we want to just think really carefully about how we do that and make sure we're going into stores where the brand will be supported and, um, you know, they won't be like pushing us on price too much. Like they have to really understand what we're trying to do and kind of creating this new category within the category. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with that comes this premium price. So anyway, we want to carefully expand out into more conventional and, and mass retail settings from there. Um, and at the same time, innovation is a big part of our, our growth strategy too. Um, 
Jamie and I both came from, we kind of cut our teeth in the industry working at a startup called Sweet Earth Natural Foods. And, mm. and that was huge for us. We were launching new products like crazy. And Target was one of our early partners. And we worked really closely with them. And they would say, yeah. hey, we want you to do a line of frozen entrees. And we would go <laughs> and run off and create them and launch them. And we just, you know, I think that has informed how we think about our strategy for growing heyday mm. because that experience at Sweet Earth was so formative for both of us early in our career. Um, so we want to be really agile and, and quick to bring new concepts to market and develop collaborative relationships with buyers to understand what they want to see in their category. You know, they know that space better than mm. anybody. And we, we want to be able to solve some of those pain points or bring new shoppers into the category for them. And, mm kind of be a, a thought partner to them as they think about how to grow the category. So I would say those are the two big legs of the strategy that we're focusing on is, mm. you know, carefully and strategically growing our retail footprint and then, you know, also strategically launching new items in, in a way that makes a lot of sense for the brand. That's cool. So when you're talking innovation, you mean like flavor innovation? Flavors and new products, new categories. Cool. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we very much see Heyday not as a canned bean company, but mm. as you know, a broader canned food company. And I think there's okay. a lot of interesting spaces that we can play. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, we're very excited to start with beans, but um, we have a long-term vision to kind of innovate throughout the whole aisle. Um, yeah. We just that was part of what got us so excited about the idea and the opportunities, just mm. like how long that runway is for innovation and how much white space there is in, in all of these different categories. That's fantastic. And you're yeah. so lucky to be, you know, located where you are in California with all of the beautiful produce that's grown there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like what an opportunity, especially with all of the, the fruit and the vegetables, particularly like, yeah. yeah, such a great opportunity. Totally. Yeah. We're, we're in the heart of it here for mm. sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Now, I kind of asked this question earlier on, but if you had the opportunity to go back to before you started with the knowledge that you have now, what business advice would you go back and give yourself? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think stay patient is a big one. I think it's easy. I'm sure anyone that's, you know, trying to get something off the ground or has gotten something off the ground can relate to that. Everything just takes longer than you think. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a limit to how much you can push things forward. And mm. I think it can feel frustrating, especially when you're working solo or even just with one other person and you're your own boss and it always feels like there's more you could be doing. I think it can be really hard to just stay patient and let the process unfold. But mm. I think patience and sort of trust in the process that, you know, you're putting your whole self into this thing. It's going to work out <laughs> the way that it should, when it should. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that would have been useful advice. Cause I think, I don't know. I think I was naive in, in certain ways at the beginning of this process, like with the co-packer example, mm -hmm. thinking like, Oh, mm -hmm. this will be, you know, a couple of weeks and we'll have that sorted. <laughs> and it took like over a year, like things yeah, just I'm take not time. Surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Things take time and yeah. it's hard. It's really, really hard building something from nothing. So mm -hmm. I think just like giving yourself grace, letting yourself stay patient is very important. Yeah. It's one but, thing to have yeah. an idea and then it's another thing to turn it into reality, isn't it? Oh, totally. Reality is hard. And making, <laughs> making physical things I think is that's hard. a soundbite. Reality yeah, is hard. Yeah. Reality is hard. And making physical things is really, yeah. really hard. Yeah. Like making things in the real physical world mm -hmm. is very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, yeah, everyone, everyone just needs to give themselves more grace. Things are hard. <laughs> Reality is hard. That's true. Um, yeah, did you yeah. have any sort of a core group of advisors or any awesome books or resources that you'd recommend people reach out to or have a look at? Hmm. Yeah, that's such a good question. We, you know, we have a handful of like food industry connections and, and people that we've been connected to through the process that have become really great mentors. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think most people probably already know this, but just, yeah, networking as much as you can. You never know, like, who might introduce you to someone who can introduce you to, like, the perfect resource mm -hmm. that you need on the co-packing side or, you know, help you solve some problem that you've been working on for a long time. And yep. the natural foods industry is small, like people, everybody knows everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so once you start like breaking in and, and making connections and getting introduced to other people, you know, it's normally like not that many degrees of separation away from someone who, you know, might have the answer to your problem. So yeah, I think just trying to network within the industry and it's such a nice, like warm, supportive industry for, Isn't it? for the most yeah. part. Yeah, totally. Um, so I think there's a lot of people out there that genuinely want to help mm. and want to help entrepreneurs get ideas off the ground. And, and there's a lot of, um, I think a lot of common stumbling blocks. I mean, even some of the things that we've already talked about, you're like, mm. oh yeah, I've had that conversation with plenty Many of people. Many times. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like we're not writing an original story. This is like mm. not the first time people have watched this movie before. And I yeah. think you know, there's plenty of people who can um, help shed light on the path. You know, it's a well-trodden, well-trodden, very tricky path. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. Now, yeah. if we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever. So this is it in work or in life, what would you have accomplished? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think from a work perspective, so we're, we're still so, so newly in mm. market. Like we mm -hmm. just launched at Sprouts. We're just about to launch at Whole Foods. We don't have really any velocity sell through data yet. Yeah. And so the big like question mark for me is how is this thing going to sell when it hits Is it going to fly? Like, yeah. Is it going to fly? And mm -hmm. so I think like the best year ever for me is like it flew. Like, oh boy, did it fly. And it's going to fly. Think, Don't worry. Yep. I hope it flies. I mean, but that is like definitely one of the things that keeps us up at night is, mm. you know, we believe, obviously, we believe mm. in this concept so much and we believe that as soon as people try it, they're going to love it and, and mm -hmm. come back. Um, but I think that I have to assume is always one of the scariest pieces. It's like you put your baby in the world finally, yep. and then it's like, okay, now this is really what matters is whether it sells or doesn't. Um, so yeah, I think a year from now, being able to look back and say like, as soon as we hit shelves, those things flew and, yep. you know, we were able to, you know, new opportunities came our way and we were able to deliver on all of those new opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, that would, that would be the place that I would be very happy to to look back on. Yeah. Or even yeah. that you learned from the mistakes that you made throughout the process yeah, of launching. Totally. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. Yeah. Or or it didn't fly, but we know why and we were able to pivot. I Rectify. Mean, yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Kat, thank you so much yeah. for the conversation today. I'm really yeah. excited to sort of, you know, follow you on LinkedIn and keep watching the business grow. And I really do believe that this brand will fly because yeah, honestly, like as soon as people see it, and I'm yeah. sure as soon as people taste it, like you've already sort of instilled the fact that they all taste delicious. I'm sure that you'll see some success. So good luck for it all. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your support. And this was such a fun conversation. It's really, this is the first podcast we've ever done. And the first time we've told the story in this kind of way. So thank the you first so of many. for having me. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. So. <laughs> no worries. So thank if you. anybody wanted to follow along and get in touch, what's the best way for them to go about it? Yeah. So follow us on Instagram. That's the social channel where we're most active. We're at Heyday Canning Co. Um, mm -hmm. Or from you know more of the business perspective, you can follow us on, on LinkedIn. We're, we're at Heyday Canning Co. there as well. Yeah, perfect. And I'll include all of those links down in the show notes for everybody, as well as um, as well as your uh, as well as all of the other links that I'll put down in there as well. So Sweet. your web developer Thanks. and also um, outline. So I'll put that yeah, down there for awesome. people too. Cool. Awesome. Well, listen. Thank so you very much. much. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. 
All right, so thanks again for taking the time to join us for today's episode. That was episode 109. Hey, listen, um, the best way that you can support this podcast and it would mean the world for me is if you could give this podcast a rating on the platform that you listen to it. Uh, on LinkedIn, a like and a share goes a heck of a long way. And if you wanted to continue along with the conversation, definitely shoot me an email at Hayden at the pack of you podcast.com. And uh, yeah, that's me for this week. And I hope to see you next week for episode 110. Cheers. Cheers.